Hey everybody, and welcome to episode 194 of the iFreak Show. This is James Zuber, I'm your host today, and we have a guest panelist. And if you'd like to be on the panel as a guest, let us know. We're looking to have people uh, stop in and ask cool questions of our awesome guests. Uh, please welcome Guy Rambo. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, thanks, James. I'm Guy Rambo. I think it's better to pronounce my name like that than Guilherme Rambo. I'm from Brazil, and I work at Peixe Urbano translates as urban fish and e-commerce site. How are you guys doing? Excellent. Well, glad to have you on the show. Uh, today our guests are Dustin Bruznak and Troy Gall. And we're, they're from uh, Icon Factory. Uh, Dustin's been on the show before, but we're going to talk about Linea, a new app they just launched. Can you guys introduce yourself? Yeah, um, I'm Dustin Bruznak. I uh, am part-time programmer, part-time Lord business at Icon Factory. Um, and, you know, I like to you know, stay involved in the technical side of things, but more recently have been running um, the consulting services side of the um, specific to building mobile apps, but uh, been involved in, with the with the linear process and, and helping launch it and, and so on. So um, that's why. I'm... Yeah, so I'm Troy Gall, and I'm also with Icon Factory. I'm a developer. Uh, been there for a few years now. Um, with the primary developer on Linea for the last uh, over a year now, and uh, also, I've done some contract work uh, for various clients that we've had, um, and I've done some kind of help out. I've helped out with some of the Icon Factory apps. I did the Apple Watch app for Twitterific, and and uh, helped out with their stickers last year. Very cool. So we brought you on the show to talk about Linea. Can you tell us a little bit about that? This episode is brought to you by DailyDrip.com. Daily Drip makes keeping up to date on programming skills easier. You already know how much time it takes to find good resources and learn new languages. What if the hard part of that was already done for you? Sign up for Daily Drip and pick a topic that you want to learn about. Want to learn Swift? How about React Native? Or maybe you just want to brush up on CSS and HTML. Every weekday you'll get a short video or reading delivered to you via email. The best part is it only takes five minutes a day. We have a special coupon just for iFreaks listeners. If you sign up using the coupon code iFreaks as one word, you'll save $9 on your first month, which means that you can try out the Swift topic for free. Don't forget to use the coupon code iFreaks to show your support for our podcast. Make learning part of your daily routine with dailydrip.com. Sure. I mean, Linea is a drawing app for the iPad. That's kind of first and foremost. Um, there's several out there. Uh, this is, I like to call it, um, in a drawing app that's been designed and edited by the designers at Icon Fact. There being that, when we first got hands-on an iPad with a iPad Pro with an Apple Pencil, um, you know, we wanted to build something for it. Uh, Ged, one of the designers at Icon Factory, tried out several of the apps that were in the App Store at the time, and there were some nice things about a few of them, but he didn't find one that really kind of matched what he wanted in an app. The, the one that was best for for his style for drawing was actually the Apple Notes app, but it isn't really designed as a sketching app. It's you know a notes app with sketching as just one kind of component of it. So we decided to build something that was a little, you know, more finely tuned for the kind of workflow that he wanted, where he wanted to be able to start a sketch on his iPad, um, you know, take a concept and, and draw it really quickly and then use that as a basis for actually creating the final product, which is usually in their case icons being the icon factory, but they also do other design work as well. Um, so that was the, the genesis of it. That and the fact that I was interested in developing an app for the for the Apple Pencil after I got my hands on mine. So uh, we kind of worked together on what that was going to end up being. So that was the, the beginning of it. 
Very cool. So what about the existing drawing apps didn't you like or didn't he like? Well, the first, the very first thing was uh, pencil rendering. Um, the notion that the way that it looks when you, you know, write with a pencil, uh, the the kind of realization was that Apple actually did a really good job in their Notes app of doing a really good looking, you know, pencil, and that was the, the beginning of it. Uh, their their pencil actually was kind of head and shoulders above what you know we wanted or what what Ged thought about when he looked at some of the other apps in the space, you know, apps you might be familiar with, uh, Procreate, uh, Photoshop, Sketch, and so forth, right? And so he wanted an app that had some of the other creative features of those apps, but that had pencil drawing that was more along the lines of what Apple had in their Notes app. So that was the beginning of it. And then you know, I took that and, and used um, what I know about. You know, I used to work on ImageReady, which was shipped with Photoshop years and years ago. And uh, I, I know something about the way that, say, brushing models are, are implemented in apps like that. So I was able to use that to try to build something that mimic to some extent what Apple Notes does. Although if you look at the rendering closely, you'll notice that our rendering is different from Apple Notes, but I think they're both good in their own ways, so. And then the other thing I believe you guys focused on was performance. Um, so Linea is some really tight performance characteristics in terms of brushing that um, with the pencil, because you've got that uh, significant uptick in resolution from a normal stylus, uh, it was important to get that the latency be uh, as low, if not totally gone, as possible. And the pencil really makes it obvious that uh, if you have any sort of performance problems in your rendering model, um, the pencil is going to make those much more obvious. Uh, so when you go to some of those higher-end drawing programs, um, they they tend to fall a little short of the feeling of, hey, I'm drawing on a piece of paper. Like, because ultimately, our, our competition is not Procreate or Paper 50 or 53 from 53 or Adobe Sketch. Our, our competition is we really needed to create something that replaced the physical paper notebook Get had sitting next to his monitor um, for sketching. And I mean, these guys do you know, thousands and thousands of icons a year. I mean, you, the, the volume of icons, so the factory part of Icon Factory is a very true statement. Um, and so any sort of introduction of latency or slowing things down, it would obviously just get completely thrown out of the creative process when those guys have to go and pop out like a whole emoji set for like Twitter, um, you know, with a thousand plus drawing icons, right? Um, and so one of the other things that um, that was a clear focus was 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 making the performance as tight as possible, especially for use with the with the pencil. What sorts of techniques are you using to assure that the drawing is as fast as possible? Can you talk to us about that? Well, really, it's about keeping the rendering model as simple as possible. So in particular, the, the, the tool I think that probably has the best responsiveness is actually the pencil in, um, in Linea. And the reason for that is that it's very dead simple in the way that we render it. So we render into, we actually use core graphics for rendering. Um, some, some of the other apps use OpenGL, you know, or some of the other libraries, but we actually go just with straight core graphics. Uh, and we have a, a brushing model that's straightforward and it's fast to render. So we don't do any, when you're actually drawing with a pencil, we've actually pre-computed what we call the brush tips that we're actually applying to the canvas when you do it. So that all it basically is is a bit blit, right, for each little brush tip as it's touching the surface. We don't have to, you know, composite that in any kind of complex way. We're not using complex blending modes, that kind of thing. It's just a very straightforward, you know, normal blending um, application and then you know being very cognizant 
when, whenever we are, you know, looking at the data that we're doing it in, in an efficient way. So the, the entire app is written in Swift, um, except for a library we use for PSD uh, reading and writing. Um, but so, you know, obviously having a compiled language is useful, just to keep things fast. But uh, we also made sure that, you know, in any of the type loops, we're not doing any extra work. But, you know, it's just being being cognizant and, and, and being careful not to not to overly complicate things. So we should back up a little bit, maybe, for some of our readers who aren't heavy graphics people. What is a rendering model? What does that mean? What is a rendering model, or? Uh, the term, what does it mean? So um, in this case, what I'm talking about is the, the way the app is designed, where we have pixel buffers, which are, if you're familiar with the, the Quartz API, right? That's a, a CG context. Um, and the rendering model is how the how we use that context to, to draw content into it. So, in the case of, of our brushes, what I call brushes, they're actually you know pencil, a pen, a marker, and the eraser. Um, and they kind of have a common infrastructure where, you know, there's code that will take the lines, the, the points of input you're getting from the pencil as you draw it, and will you know draw will apply um, pixels along that path with what, what's called a brush tip, which is a, a small bitmap that, you know, is, is the image of the brush um, by, you know, putting it in the right spots. Now, if you just put it in every spot that you sampled, you would have a dotted line. So you actually have to be a little more sophisticated and, you know, decide, okay, what's the spacing between the brush tips and how do I, how do I follow the path of that line and not just the actual, like, data points I got from the samples of uh, the Apple Pencil as you were trying, drawing the line. Um, so that's the rendering model of the brush, right? Is that that's it drawing into a bitmap, but um, the rendering model of the app, you know, goes a level above that. And um, Linea supports a set of layers. In our case, we have five layers, no more, no less. Um, and each of those layers is a separate bitmap, and those layers are then blended together by you know having transparency. Um, but right now, the way that Linea is constructed is everything is what, what's called normal blending. So if you're familiar with blend modes and core graphics, there's like, you know, add and um, multiply and all these options. Or in Photoshop, for that matter, right? If, if you look at the layer step, a bunch of different blending options between layers. We actually only have the one right now. We don't give a choice between those. And that keeps, again, <clears throat> excuse me, keeps the model simple so that when we want to, you know, add content to a line, we're not having to do really complex blending and a lot of math to, to get that from where we drew it into the buffer to the screen so the user can see it. Okay, very cool. So when you started to develop this type of thing, are you relying heavily on your past experience? Are you just throwing something out there and uh, tweaking it as you go to get improved performance? How does that work? Yeah, I think it's a combination of both, really. Um, I, I, you know, I've worked on this kind of app in the past, so that that definitely was a, a head start for me. Um, but on the other hand, you know, I hadn't built anything like this with Swift from scratch on my own in the past. So, you know, part of it was trial and error of just getting it out there and, and seeing how it all worked. Performance was kind of a, a key from the beginning, so I designed it all with an eye toward, you know, being very careful about not doing extra work during the tight loop. So the tight loop in this case, right, is the loop of applying the brush tip to the paper or the, to the material, the context, and doing it, you know, for each application of the brush along the path that you draw and doing it as quickly as possible. So in that case, 
you know, I knew up front that I needed it to be fast. So I couldn't be like calculating stuff on the fly while I was in there. I had to pre-calculate as much as I could ahead of time and then just, you know, do as little work as I, as I could during that actual application process. Do you think the fact that your app is written in Swift helped with the performance? Or do you think Objective-C would perform as well as Swift? In this case, I think Objective-C would probably perform as well as Swift, given that the model we used doesn't have a lot of logic being done you know, in, in these spots. Um, there are actually a few things that would have been a little easier to do if we'd used Objective-C and that we're actually hand-constructing some bitmaps. And you can do that with Swift, but the way that you do that took a little bit of trial and error to figure out, you know, you, you're basically creating a, a byte buffer, right? And then having to render into that with um, some kind of, in, in our case, um, the brush tips are, are monochrome. So, you know, we're using a, a grayscale buffer, but you know, if you want, if you want to do manual color drawing, and we do that in a couple of places, we actually look at the, look at the pixels of the buffer with Swift, and, and the way that you iterate that's not quite as obvious to you know to do in Swift. There are ways to do it. You just have to, and, and those have changed from Swift two to Swift three. We actually started this as a Swift two project, and then we transitioned it to Swift three when that came out last year. So, um, and the technique for doing some of those things changed a little bit uh, during that that process as well. So. Okay, so when you're doing this, like if you were doing an Objective C, you could always drop down into to just straight C, and at that point, your memory buffers are pretty obvious. But what you're saying is Swift makes that a little bit less obvious, even though under the hood, it's doing a lot of the same thing. It's just a compiled language. Right, and a lot of that's about the you know safety and um, such that Swift is trying to layer on top, right? So, for example, if you can, you want to treat your buffers as, as buffers that have that are bounded, right? So that you don't do accidental, you know, overwrites in the memory, and then you become a vector for, you know, nefarious people to come in and, and try to, you know, do, do buffer overruns and that kind of thing. Um, so that kind of necessitates that Swift define things more strictly about how you have to kind of just tell it what you're trying to access, how you're trying to access it. And um, it just, it just, it's a little bit of overhead. It was worth the effort, though, in the sense that, you know, um, once you figure out how Swift is, 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 you know, mapping that stuff, it actually is fairly straightforward and it still performs pretty well. At the, when I start, first started on it, I actually did a little research um, on a couple different techniques for talking to pixel buffers in Swift and there were actually some, some improvements made along the line of like Swift 1 to Swift 2 to Swift 2.x, right, where um, they actually got more efficient along the way. There were actually some of the earlier versions were, were less efficient at some of these accesses because I think they had some extra overhead and kind of checking that was being compiled into the code that wasn't absolutely necessary and that they've improved over time. So that was a little bit of an issue back then. Uh, the other thing that, that's actually true is that um, you know, we're using core graphics uh, for a lot of the underlying, for a lot of the blending um, that we're doing ultimately. So while we create some buffers by, you know, manually, when we're actually drawing into the pixel buffer, we're actually just calling through to core graphics. And core graphics is written in C, presumably, possibly C, you know, Objective-C. Um, and we get whatever performance characteristics it would normally have. So whether we had written it in Objective-C or in Swift, those parts of the application weren't going to perform much differently. So very cool. Now, I haven't done a lot of real performance critical stuff with Swift. I've done you know, audio stuff and graphic stuff in the past in Objective-C and C++. If you want to get into learning how this, are there any, any good resources? I'm sure there are. Uh, 
uh, you know, the the first thing that I would think of would be the the Advanced Objective C um, book that I that I actually need to pick up and and dig into. Um, I'm guessing that they probably have material in there about the memory access. Um, but I didn't specifically have material that I, that I learned this from about Swift at the time. I've, I've got a long history in the business, right? So, you know, the biggest problem that most people have with, with performance is just not necessarily fully understanding the scope of their actions. So whether that's the, the big O, you know, kind of level that their code is working at, or if that's specifically, you know, thinking through what's happening, you know, how much work needs to happen at each level, how much you can kind of pull out of the inner loops and cache, you know, or reuse uh, across the thing. So I think a lot of it was just fairly natural to me because I've been doing that for years. Very cool. So we've gone over some performance stuff, uh, very cool stuff. So you work for, you're, kind of, you're the tech arm of a consultancy, which is doing a lot of icons and you do apps. How do you get the, the, the go ahead to take time off milling work to, you know, actually build an app that you might sell? So when we uh, first started this, we were coming off of AppViz, um, and it was always our intention to be able to fund our own app, passion apps, development on apps that we can sell, um, that we were passionate about. And basically the reason, how you get the go-ahead is uh, you just have a good enough year that you can afford to take the risk and, and get into the, the the app store, which is an incredibly crazy place to try to do business, as I'm sure everyone everyone at this point knows, right? Um, and so last year, or end of end of 2015, wow, it's crazy, um, we were coming off of, you know, a, a very, very good year, and it was just time to say, you know, time to time to look and see what we could do, and uh, it, you know, it coincided very nicely with the Apple Pencil arriving and the iPad Pro arriving, like like magic, and unboxing that, and like getting all these new sort of ideas about what to be passionate for. Um, and so, you know, it was fairly easy decision to make to basically say let's investigate doing a, a product in the space from a from a business perspective, um, even if they don't, if they aren't blockbuster hits, um, which Linea is. is the, the reception for Linea has been beyond what we had imagined would happen. I mean, it was it's 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 successful. People love it. Um, we're we're just entire. We're incredibly humbled and grateful at the reception. But when we went into it, um, the idea is is we want to make enough money to justify spending the time on it. But it doesn't necessarily have to be um, a blockbuster hit uh, because we do have the other business to rely on. Uh, it's more what do we want to be doing? What do we want to be putting out there in the space that sort of exemplifies our our passions, um, our interests, shows potential customers what we love to work on and what we can do, but also uh, just helps reinvigorate us uh, moving forward to do, do more of the, the work we do, right? Um, we got into this to build cool apps. Um, and client work can be really cool, but some client work is, is not as cool. So this helps us keep the, the, fawn, the, the pond stocked with fish, as it were. The other thing to know about Linea in particular is that it started as a side project very much, right? We had a little extra time uh, in that window that Dustin mentioned to start it, and so I was able to work on it for a few weeks and get a good start on it. But um, after that, it kind of got put on the back burner for a while. So there's actually you know, a decent chunk of, of last year where we actually weren't working on it actively because we had other we either had a client project that was taking precedence or I mean at one point uh, the you know test flight expired it was like two months right before we did a 
previous since we'd done a previous release and you know i get an email from ged letting me know uh i can't use linea today it wasn't called linea back then but um so i had to go you know basically bring up the code again spin another build just so he could keep using it because he was still using it for client work at the time and that's the other side of it is that we built this for ourselves right first and foremost um and you don't always get that opportunity a lot of times you know hopefully you can make things that you can use and love yourself too but a lot of times you're you know working on software that isn't something that you that you're using every day but uh, the icon factory guys were actually using this regularly and giving me you know feedback and letting me know what they wanted and needed to to move it forward so that was kind of a a good um, constant reminder that you know we should, we should do a little more work on this. We weren't even sure if it was going to be something other people were going to be all that interested in. We just eventually got to the point last year of saying, okay, we, you know, we've got this thing. It's pretty cool, but we'd have to actually spend some time and finish it. So at the end of last year, I was able to, to take some dedicated time to actually polish up everything we needed to do to, to you know, finish the app. And then we find a releasable version near the end of the uh, month of January this year. So. Yeah, if you want to have a critical path for dog fooding, uh, give it to four or five designers who are uh, constantly doing hundreds of icons and for client work, and and then let the, the the beta expire. That's a recipe for 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 people like raising the alarm. But in terms of you know using it internally, uh, it had gotten to the point where where the guys on the design the design side were using it on a daily basis as part of their workflow and that itself became kind of a primary driver and motivator to finish it because um, it, if you had you know if you're you have internal evangelists or, or people that are addicted to using it uh, and want to see it get better and want to see it get out there uh, who are passionate about it that that really I think helps motivate you to to get over that final very long hump you know the final 80 percent of the 20 percent of the project right where where you just like we have to do all this stuff to ship oh man, that is a lot, uh, you know, and, and I think everyone gets to that point in their project where they look at it and they're like, oh man, I thought I was almost done, but I'm only halfway, uh, and it really helped to have the designers on the design side being so enthusiastic about it, especially Ged, uh, to help kind of push us through. Today's episode of iFreaks is sponsored by Setup, the revolutionary new suite of hand-picked apps and utilities for Mac. Setup is changing the way we think of apps. There is no store, just a folder on your Mac with over 60 premium apps. There are no hidden costs, just a flat monthly fee of $9.99, giving you complete access to the entire library. If you sign up at setapp.com today for one month, you can try out the full setup experience for free. If you aren't satisfied after one month, you have no obligation to pay. Setapp, now you're all set. Troy, you said about polishing the app after you decided to release it. How hard was it to take this internal tool and turn it into a an actual product? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, it, it wasn't hard. It's the kind of thing that I've done a lot in my career too. So it was designed all along to be something that could eventually ship. It wasn't designed as only as an internal tool. Um, we actually, one of the things that we did during the sticker work, so I, I worked on the sticker apps that Icon Factory released last year as well. And uh, they, one of the things you can do with the sticker is uh, they have animated ping support, right? So that's based on the standard for animated pings that Mozilla came out with. And there's a tool in Xcode that will generate them, but we actually built an internal Mac app tool that actually um, helped us do the, some of the stickers because we were creating some stickers and because of the, anim- the way the an- they were animated, they didn't they weren't quite small enough because there's a file size limit, right? So we, ha- so we actually wrote a little tool that can optimize animated ping stickers further than others. And the reason I bring that up is it's another example of an internal tool that we built. But in that case, so 
that was really designed to be kind of just for that purpose, uh, for internal use only. And we, you know, it is something that I have, have thought about, you know, polishing up and shipping, but it was much further away from that than, than Linea was when we were at the end, again, at the end of last year deciding, okay, well, let's, let's try to ship, actually ship a product out. Linea was the obvious choice because I think it, first off it has more general, you know, uh, use, uh, interest across the board, right. For the kind of people who would use it than a ping animation tool. Um, and it also was further along and it had been designed from the beginning to be an end user tool. It was just that the end users initially were just internal, but still the, the whole like business of dotting the I's and crossing the T's. And I, yeah, I look at the 1.0 that we shipped and we've actually shipped a 101 since then. And I kind of I feel a little bad that we didn't wait until the 101 to ship because to me, the 101 feels more like where the 1.0 should have been. And the 1.0 had a few things where we took a couple of shortcuts and we didn't quite button everything up as much as we should have. Um, but we also you know, really felt like we needed to get this out there and see what people thought of it and start getting feedback. And that's actually been a great motivator to getting 101 done and, and to getting us to plan out, you know, where we're going to take Linea from here, because we've got a, a lot of a lot of ideas. Obviously, all that has to be moderated through the fact that one of the big strengths of Linea is that it's it's simple, and by simple, I don't mean uncomplicated or without power, right? Um, but it's simple, it's approachable, it's something that people can pick up and just start using and not have to take much, too much time to figure out and understand. And we have to be very careful as we go forward now that we've you know, come out with this product and, and that's become its reputation that we don't mess that up. So we're going to be very cognizant of that as we go forward. And I mean, the other part of that, I think, and uh, it's probably a little unspoken, is that if we had released it and people had gone, what the hell, what is this, I don't need it, um, that would have totally dramatically changed the level of investment we wanted to make in it. Right. Um, it's the right time from a business perspective to release it too, because we had done this this fairly significant upfront investment and you never know with a product whether you're I mean you think there's an issue you like it you know, people are using it internally um, but until it hits the market you never know uh, if you got it right and and I think that that too has been very motivating from the perspective of um, seeing things like Serenity Caldwell's uh, animated review where she animated a review of our app in our app. Um, <laughs> that stuff is very motivating to keep the team moving forward as well. And, and, and you, you don't want to get too far down the release process uh, without without sort of vetting your market and, and, and basically making sure that your assumptions were good. Um, so there, there's that old probably tired adage that if you uh, ship, if you're happy with what you ship, you ship too late. <laughs> um, I think that's true here as well. Um, but I wanted to ask Troy, like, when was the first time we added external beta testers to the test flight? Because that that would be a good telling for when we actually started thinking that we had a product. Well, Serenity on the I'm More podcast that Ged was on, and by the way, that's a great podcast if you want to listen to um, some of the background on Linea as well. Um, she actually mentioned getting the beta invite in, or the email from Ged about being on the beta in March of last year. So that was, that was actually pretty early beta, but that does sound about right because I remember I was actually at WWC last year. I had traveled out to San Francisco. I didn't actually have a ticket, but um, I went to the Layers Conference and um, I actually spoke to Serenity there about her reaction to Linea at the time, you know, and how, what she thought of it. And it was still, that was like a really early version, almost kind of embarrassingly, you know, simple compared to what we ended up with. Although, again, simplicity is one of the cornerstones. And what's interesting about Linea is the UI hasn't really changed. Um, the UI that like, Ged and the rest of the Icon Factory drew up that I started to implement the basic kind of look of the of the 
iPad when you're just using the app and you have the panels there was very is very similar to like the very first mock-up they did. Um, there's a lot of details. There's a few details here and there that are different, and there's obviously the pop-up panels have changed and, and gotten some more features in them over time. But the the basic look of the app, um, you know, goes back about that far, and we've just kind of completed all the other little bells and whistles and, and things um, since then. So that's all balancing simplicity and power is kind of the hardest choices, I think. And it's fun watching the design and the pro the project uh, management meetings going forward because it's all about oh, what cool features could we add, and what ones shouldn't we add just because we can, uh, because keeping it simple and usable and really giving you that notebook experience that's part of the the whole the the design ethos of the thing and the, the its spirit, you know. <laughs> Yeah, with a lot of companies, you get some sales teams saying design in general, right? Yeah, definitely. With a lot of companies, you have a sales team saying, "I could sell so much more if we had this feature, and this feature, and this feature," and you throw it in, and you can't use the app because it's just got so much junk in there. But this seems like a better approach, right? Yeah, we come from we come from Adobe, so you preach into the choir. Um, uh, the Adobe products are great; they're super powerful. But if you don't, if you just want to sketch, if you just want to draw, you know. Um, their pro products don't do an amazing job of getting out of your way. They're the kinds of things that you take a class to learn how to use. They're not the kind of thing that you hand your your seven year old or eight year old and have them sketch something. And there were sketches going up on Twitter. People were tweeting, "Hey, my 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 kid drew this with Linea," um, and and that is really cool because that tells you that although you're capable of doing these really sophisticated and uh, things, which um, if you want to see that, you can check out our Instagram. We have an Instagram for Linea. People have done these amazingly detailed illustrations that are, are just crazy but but also you can hand that same tool to a to a child and they can do something cool with it uh, without having a, a giant learning curve so we've got this really cool uh, uh, niche that we fit where where you, you the young people young people can use it but even pro artists have been able to do things that just are jaw-droppingly cool with it and and uh, that's been really gratifying to see too we've, we've been trying to collect those into our Instagram account just because um, it's inspiration for us uh, to see just how far people have taken it. I mean, we knew you could use it for for this kind of work, but uh, to see people, you know, tweeting stuff at us on day one that's uh, frankly beyond my artistic capabilities, but also just impressive for even our, our designers, um, it has been really gratifying. So that's all good. Now, as, as part of the thought process for actually going to release this to the public, I mean, you're doing some kind of market analysis. But you're creating a project that is for Apple Pencil, which a lot of people don't really have, and it's on a device that may be getting less user share. Like my iPad is, I've had an iPad 4, which is, I don't know, three or four years old at this point, and it, it, it works for me. It's like, I know there's new, cooler ones, but like my iPad 4 does all the iPad type things I need. How do you, how do you do that, work that equation? Dustin, you want to take that? <laughs> I was waiting to see if you wanted to take it. Um, so again, for us, it, first off, it's not, you know, we, we don't hate money. I don't want to say that, but it's not about making tons of money. Um, it's about putting out something out there that people love to use and, and something that exemplifies our work and that we love to use that we're proud of. That's that's sort of the first and foremost. And, and um, you know, what platform we do to some basic market analysis um, for instance you don't need a pencil to use it you don't need an iPad Pro to use it um, but in terms of 
looking at the declining iPad demographic, there's still a lot of iPads out there. Apple knows what it's doing. I mean, yeah, the iPad doesn't look awesome when you compare its ship numbers to uh, the iPhone, but it's still shipping something like, I might be wrong here, but like four times more than MacBooks are, right? There's still a ton of those out there. So we're trusting Apple to basically be the market leader and decide where the market is. Um, but getting back to the passion, to, to bullet point number one, like um, we have the iPad Pro, we have the pencil here. Um, that's what got us really engaged because to me, when I first got my iPad, um, what I really wanted was a drawing surface and a writing surface and a note-taking note surface. Um, and I really wanted that that experience that Apple promised that the that the iPad was going to be this sort of sheet of glass that could become other things, um, that could replace the notebook in my process. Um, because I'm just sick of carrying around dead trees, um, not having archived stuff, not being able to use digital tools on paper. And I can't, you know, I've got heavy handshakes. So like paper in general, I get ink on my hands. It's terrible. Um, and I think until the iPad Pro, they hadn't really realized that dream until the pencil came along. They hadn't realized that promise. And so when they finally did, and we were playing around with, with Troy's Apple Pencil in two, late 2015, it was revelationary. And it was, it, it was like, we need to build something for this. This is too cool. This is, you know, I remember in my Adobe days when Troy and I worked down the hall from each other, and uh, and the iPad had just come out, and we were brainstorming ideas for replacing paper-based workflows with it, uh, drawing apps, and and so on. And it was, uh, you know, it was obvious even back then that that this was going to be an amazing space to be in. And I think it's taken them a lot of iterations to actually get there. And so now that they're finally there. Um, it, it really is a no-brainer for us to, to to do things in that space, and I think we've been validated by that the decision that there are other people out there that um, that have looked at our app and said that yes, you know this this is this is fi finally where the iPad uh, promised to be going, and you know there's finally apps capable of taking advantage of that, and it's not just linear, but I think that this new generation of hardware really is the iPad as the iPad was conceived to be, and I think. Um, to to not build something for it would just be a, be a shame and and we're we've been icon factory has been on device in the app store on day one you know early adopters of twitter and early adopters of stickers and early adopters of uh the apple tv and i mean we've been on every platform as that apple has come out with basically the day it's been out and uh we were not gonna we were not going to let this new new thing pass us by and, and just and regret not having done something for it. Sorry, I just want to add a couple things there. Um, one was that, you know, if you look at the, the iPad numbers, the, the like number of sales that they're getting, you know, in millions per quarter might be down a little bit, but they're still that's still increasing market of iPads, right? It's just not increasing quite as quickly as it used to increase if you look at the entire market. Um, while we don't require the Apple Pencil, that, you know, we're obviously designed for the Apple Pencil first and foremost, and we then support other, other forms of input. Um, that's always a place we can also expand. Like if we found that it would be useful, we could support an additional, you know, pressure sensitive stylus, one of the older ones for an older iPad, if we think that that's a place that people have some demand. But the Apple Pencil is really, really good. Uh, input device, and we really wanted to concentrate on that, especially at the beginning. Uh, the other thing I wanted to mention was just that we did this, like, like I said, right? We did it for Icon Factory for the designers there, and 
I think we got to a certain point and realized, well, we kind of have something here. We don't know if everyone's going to get it when they release it or not, but you know, we, we know we have something and we want to just, you know, finish it up and get it out there and see what the reaction is and hope for the best. But if it doesn't actually become a big success, we, we at least know that we're still going to be using it. And we, we spent some, you know, effort and some money, time, whatever on getting that final release out. But now that we've seen the reaction and it's been, you know, great. Uh, we're definitely jazzed to, to take it further. If it hadn't been great, if it had just kind of fallen flat and no one was interested and didn't really get it, maybe you know, then things would obviously be a little different for us. But we didn't. We wouldn't have felt that we made a mistake by releasing it or by building it because we're still seeing use out of it ourselves, and we think it's you know adding adding value to people's lives, you know, even just internally. So, so you know, one way or another, it was it was going to be a success, even if it wasn't a market success. Uh, we're just happy that it ended up being both. Awesome. So we're running a little bit of time. We'll get to the pick soon, but I, I got a question, and this might be a little bit of inside baseball. Now you've launched Lydia. That's a very cool drawing app. That's another very cool drawing app we've had on the show, and people we both know you with AstroPad and Matt Rongi. Um, you both work out of the same office. Or is there, I, I'm, I'm imagining some like Mission Impossible type stuff, like looking over their shoulders and doing stuff like that. Do you uh, do you interact with them that much? Yeah, I mean, they're just on the hall from us, uh, so we interact with them a lot. Um, Matt's awesome. His team, the team he's built here is great, and his product is fantastic, um, just really great. Um, so we end up talking to him every couple of days, at least, uh, about the market and how his thing's going and how our thing's going. And uh, We actually tend to talk business more than tech with him. Um, he's, he's, he's a great developer, and they've got a great product, but he's also got a really good business mind. So um, we just talk about the, the state of the app store market and uh, how how things are going and analytics and advertising and um, it's really nice to have a, a fellow um, app shop uh, in the uh, just down just down the uh, uh, down the hall from us and someone else who can sort of has the same experiences in terms of uh, the joys and frustrations of working in the the Mac and iOS space um, and um, we we go way back with, with Matt. Uh, uh, for it's been known for years, so uh, he's always been in the community. But especially now, I mean, we, we've got an app in the same kind of category in the same kind of space. So I make sure to rib him when whenever we pass him in the in the charts, and he does the same. Uh, and, well, what's uh, great is what's great is that they don't they're not competing against one another for, for right. use. They're very, you know, they're, they're they're both based around on drawing and have great support for the Apple Pencil, but they're definitely kind of different same. segments of the same market, not the same exact same uh, target customer. So he's been a great resource for us, and and if if anyone out there hasn't tried AstroPad, if they are a Photoshop user or a Mac desktop user, or a MacBook user, uh, definitely check it out because it's it really is cool. And the amount of the amount of sweating the details that he did, uh, that, that his whole team do, does on a daily basis, uh, makes it should make all of us as iOS developers out. I think like I think that one of the niches that that we occupy. Not just Icon Factory, but people in the iOS space and formerly in the Mac space is this sort of attention to detail, this artistic kind of. It's not just a data entry app. It's not just a tool that gets it, uh, gets the job done. It's it's a work of art, and and I think AstroPad, especially the new AstroPad Pro, uh, exemplifies that. And and so it's really cool to have people who share that sort of mentality uh, in the same co-working space because uh, it rubs off, and it, it, you can you get. Uh, shared energy that way, more momentum, I think. And Matt uh, has definitely been helpful there too. Yeah, I was working in that space this week, and I, there are a ton of iOS developers there. Oddly enough, uh, I don't get to the Northeast Minneapolis very often, but very cool space with a lot of people doing cool work. 
Hey there, this is Charles Maxwood, and I just wanted to talk to you really briefly about Freelance Remote Comp. I'm putting on a conference for people who want to go freelance or who are freelance and bringing in some of the experts from the Freelancer Show to talk to you about how to find clients, how to collect money, how to build your business, how to specialize, and much, much more. So if you're thinking about going freelance or you're already freelance and want to hear from the experts on how to go, become, or grow your freelancing business, then by all means, come check us out at freelanceremoteconf.com. So that's about it for our time. We're going to get to the picks. Guy, what do you have for us? I have two libraries. The first one is Caterpillar. It does type-safe date formats in Swift. It's really cool. No more messing with time formats. Uh, I found it yesterday while looking for a reference on time formats. So Caterpillar, check it out. Also, SwiftJSON. That's an old one, but I use it, and I think it's the best JSON library for Swift out there. Yeah, I've always been a fan of Swifty JSON. I used it very early on, Swift One days, and yeah, I, I enjoy it, so I'm, I'm yeah. for it. Uh, Dustin, do you have a pick? Yeah, I've got uh, I've got three. I focus more since you know I'm, I do more of the business side of things these days. So my picks are a little bit more esoteric. I think uh, they're not libraries; they're apps. Um, so the first is Headspace. Um, it's a um, mindfulness and meditation app. And um, if you just want to unplug for 15 minutes a day and calm your brain down and and kind of get rid of help sort of get rid of anxiety and keep things in perspective, it's um, Headspace is really great. Um, I'm not a huge mindfulness guy. I'm not a mindfulness guru, but I think taking 15 minutes out every day um, and just having a guided meditation session with someone who's a, who used to be a that in your pocket and really helps just keep things in perspective I, I recommend it to anyone who's feeling really like like they're getting overwhelmed with having a 40 ask list in a, in a day they can get 10 things done uh, headspace has been is a really great implementation of that um, I'd also recommend Divi um, Divi is a Mac desktop tool and what it does is it uh, it allows you to select a window and basically pick how many columns of the screen you want it to take up. So it's a window manager, uh, and that's really nice if you're like me and you have 50 different apps open at any given time. So for instance, you want to open up Atom or your editor, and you want to open up a web page. It allows you to very easily say, I want this to take up half the screen, I want this to take up half the screen, and things can be laid out very well in less than a second uh, that normally I would be like dragging things around and, and Divi just manages that for me. It's a really great little tool. Um, and then third, uh, Audible, which uh, if anyone who has a commute like uh, like me, I recently moved, so I have a 40-minute commute. Um, Audible helps me read more books. I mean, it's reading, listening, um, I, I, you know, two to four books a month that I can add to my list of, of books that I'm that I'm reading that I otherwise wouldn't be able to because of Audible. So uh, yeah, it's Amazon, so the implementation isn't great. You have to go to Amazon for the store. But in terms of just the breadth of stuff to listen to uh, and the, the quality of the books out there, I really recommend it. Those are mine. Very cool. Troy? Yeah, I've just got a couple of Mac apps that wanted to mention one uh, from Icon Factory, uh, since this is also one that would be loath to fail to mention Xcope. Um, it's a great tool for, you know, I used to use, uh, what is it, Pixie for, you know, magnifying my screen, but Xcope does that with its loop, but it also has a bunch of other tools that are great for, you know, getting color values from the screen, getting dimensions by being able to measure between things, uh, having, having straight edges and so forth on the screen if you want them. So I use that a lot during my development 
along with Xcode and everything else to you know make sure that everything is pixel perfect. That's obviously pretty important for the Icon Factory folks. Uh, the other one is a uh, Acorn by Flying Meat Software. Um, Gus Mueller uh, is a developer of that and uh, mentioned this because for, for two reasons. One is uh, I use it all the time when I just need to make a little tweak to a ping or something. Obviously, I, I have a copy of Photoshop for getting you know big design documents and pulling things out of there. But when I just need to make a, a few little changes and that kind of thing, it's, it's um, a lot nicer to just open a smaller, you know, more focused app like like Acorn that is it's quick. It lets you make a quick change and save and not not have to fiddle around with save for web and all these other things that Photoshop has. And also, um, Gus. Uh, wrote the uh, FMPSD library that I mentioned earlier, which is used in, in Linea for doing PSD export. So uh, that's the one piece of Objective-C that actually is in there. I He wrote that and open sourced it some time ago uh, for Mac OS, and I actually took uh, FMPSD and did work to add iOS uh, support to it, and I um, contributed back those changes to the open source project. So if anyone needs a PSD handling library for um, a Cocoa or a Cocoa Touch app, uh, that's a place to go. I need a PTSD handling library. Do those exist? Headspace, man. Oh, As, uh, previous <laughs> recommendations. Cool. <laughs> Life hacks from Dustin Bruzneck. Well, thanks everyone exactly. for coming on the show. Dustin Troy, um, it's great to see the Lenny app come out of the gate swinging. Um, it's very cool. We, we all have stories and friends that spend all this time on apps and they get out and they do nothing. Or if they do something, it's enough to buy a, a couple of meals at Taco Bell. But uh, congratulations, uh, it's going well. You've had great press, and check out the app. And everyone else, we'll see you all next week. Thank you. Thank you. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more.